good morning. A few years ago, might say a few decades ago, I was in college. And uh, while I was in college, I was a part of a, an honors band. And one time we were at an honors band rehearsal. It was an all-day rehearsal, and we went away to lunch. We came back from lunch, and my buddy and I went into the bathroom to brush our teeth so we could go back for the rest of the rehearsal. It was a large bathroom on the college campus, and we were over in one corner of it. And unbeknownst to this other guy, um, he walked in. He didn't know we were there. He walked in to the bathroom, walked right up to the mirror, pulled his comb out, said, I'm a neat guy. Put his comb back in his pocket and walked out the bathroom. <laughs> Thought that was such a cool thing. My, my buddy and I laughed about that for the longest time. But uh, I wonder how many of you, in the privacy of your own bathroom or your own bedroom or your own home, have ever just stopped in front of the mirror and looked and said, I'm a neat guy. <laughs> I've done it. We've been talking about wisdom from the book of Proverbs for the last several weeks. And we continue this week looking at the, the book of Proverbs to define and to, dis, and to discover clues of wisdom that we can use in our lives to, uh, to guide us, to strengthen us, to, to help us to walk better with God. And this week we're going to talk about a topic that's not really comfortable for all of us. It's... Um, a little bit awkward maybe to talk about, and yet I feel like we have to discuss it. We really need to discuss this topic because it's universal. It's all of us, and today's topic is pride. I know none of you really wanted to hear that because if I'm going to talk about pride, there's a pretty good chance that uh, somebody's going to get their toes stepped on. And just for the record... I don't want it to be me stepping on your toes. Let's let it be the Word of God that does the toe stepping. Um, let's call it what it is. It's, uh, and I'll say this. If my toes need to be stepped on and God steps on my toes, I need to be okay with that. I need to learn to be okay with that. So there's your forewarning. You can put up your defenses right now and, uh, <laughs> and begin to let all the stuff just go over your heads. If maybe if some of you want to, you want to nod off and, and just check out of this one and not even listen to it. We're going to talk about pride today. We're going to learn what we can from the book of Proverbs and uh, see what God's Word has to say about it. Turn to Proverbs chapter 6 if you have your Bible. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 17. The Scripture says this, There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to Him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a man who stirs up dissension among brothers. And when I first read that, first thought that comes to my mind was, well, God, what is it? Is it six or seven? Why do you say there's six things that God hates? Yea, seven that are detestable to Him. Well, truth be known, it's a poetic uh, tool that, that's used from the writers of that time to draw emphasis to that seventh item. And in this case, the seventh item is actually the first item, and it's haughty eyes. Haughty eyes. There is a, there is a weight in the, in the verbiage here that is giving to, given to number one there. Haughty eyes. And as we'll learn as we go through this study, haughty eyes, or as we call it in our vernacular, pride, is really 
kind of the de facto sin. There are six things that God hates. Yay, seven that God just is, are detestable to Him. And number one on that list is pride. Now, if I ask you that, you're probably going to say, okay, I don't have a problem with that. And then I'm going to ask you, but do you have a problem with pride? And you say, well, maybe, you know, passing, but it's not really a big deal because I don't walk around going, hey, I'm an Eve guy. Although I've known people that do that. Where do you stand in your relationship with God? Let's, uh, let's just get right to it. I believe there's more pride in this room than in most places that you'll run into all during your life. Oh, that is really ugly. That is really tough to swallow. But, you know, you don't come to church to be real with all the other people around you. And we make an effort to do that. We talk about how we want to be real. And we really do make an effort to who, what you see here is the same thing that you'll see there. We are what we are. And yet, we all put on a certain facade when we get out of the car and walk onto this property, don't we? We, put, we make sure our hair is combed. We make sure we look good. We don't, we, don't, we don't show up here the same way we'd be laying around the house watching TV. And the things we talk about, we don't want to talk about some of the things that are really deep down secrets in our hearts because truth is that's too ugly. And while it may be socially unacceptable for us to go too far, the problem comes when you and I decide that that, that barrier that we're just not going to cross with one another, which I think is probably okay, the problem comes when we refuse to cross that line with God. When we start to hide those things, hide behind that facade with God, and we're not honest with ourselves and we're not honest with God about the depth of the condition of our heart. And I think you'll see some of that as we go through this passage of Scripture. So today we're going to begin talking about the danger of pride. Now, there's two kinds of pride, and I know anytime we have this discussion, the first, time people, first thing people say is, well, it's good to be proud about something. I worked for an organization once where the insurance was canceled, the organization. State Farm wrote a letter and said, we're canceling your property insurance because the condition of your property and the condition of your buildings demonstrates no pride of ownership. The State Farm was right to do that because the place was dilapidated. So there is, a play, there is a rightful place for us to have a pride which has to do with an excellence. And on the one hand, we'll say we should all demonstrate a certain level of excellence. We should care, as somebody else said to me. We, I'll say it like this. Today, I want to deliver to you a good message. I want to, to go into the Word of God and pull truth out of it and communicate that truth to you in a way that's meaningful and impacts your heart and it ultimately ends up changing your life. I care about doing that. I want to do that. I want it to be excellent in that fashion. The problem is when we cross the line into superiority or arrogance, <laughs> those people, boy, do they need to hear what i got to say. You see the difference? It's okay for me to care. It's okay for me to work hard to deliver a good message. But it's not okay for me to look down my nose at you and say, I'm better than you. i got something to teach you. Because then I've, I've crossed the line into superiority or arrogance. And that's the kind of pride we're going to deal with. Not the pride of excellence. I hope that we all understand that. And I think that you probably do. But we need to take a look at this pride 
of this uh, pride of arrogance or pride of superiority. Look at Proverbs chapter 8, verses 12 through 13. Proverbs 12, or 8, 12 through 13 says, I, wisdom, dwell together with prudence. I possess knowledge and discretion. That's the good side of things. Wisdom is talking about itself. It's kind of, it's kind of boasting in a non-bad way. It's stating the excellence of I, wisdom, dwell together with prudence. I possess knowledge. I possess discretion. That's a good thing. That's the positive side. On the other side is the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. And then now God gets into the narrative and He says, I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior and perverse speech. God says, I hate pride. We just read in Proverbs 6 that there's six things, yea, seven, that God hates. And number one on the list is pride, a a haughty eyes. Y'all remember Muhammad Ali? Float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. Muhammad Ali. The story is told, I don't know if it's true or not, it could be urban legend, but the story is told that Muhammad Ali was on a plane one time and the flight attendant came up to him and said, "Uh, Sir, you need to fasten your seatbelt. And Muhammad Ali looked at her and he said, Superman don't need no seatbelt. To which the flight attendant quickly replied back to him, Superman don't need no plane. Now fasten your seatbelt. You see, there's a superiority that, that we, can, we can take on where we're looking down our noses and saying, we're better than everybody else. I'm better at that. I don't need to be like the rest of everybody else. I'm above that. I'm superior to that. I'm arrogant about, above that. In 1986, the SS... I have to look this up because it's... I don't know if I say it right. If you speak Russian, you can correct me on this later. The SS Admiral Nakhimov. In 1986... Two ships were sailing in the Black Sea and they had a collision. The SS Admiral Nakhimov sunk seven minutes from the time of the collision until the ship sunk. Several hundred people died. There was an investigation after the accident to determine the cause of the accident and they determined that it was not due to mechanical failure. It was not due to electrical failure, electronic failure. The the radar wasn't uh, failing. The cause of the accident, the two ship's captains refused to change course. They both knew they were headed for one another. They both radioed each other and neither one of them would change course. And they collided and several hundred people lost their lives because of pride. Because I think I'm right. Because I think I'm better than you. You move. I'm not moving. You move. You see, there is a real danger in pride, in arrogance, in superiority that takes control of our lives. Pride, I think the reason that pride is listed number one in that list of seven from Proverbs 6 is because of the fact that all other sin emanates out of that one sin. It is the root of all other sin. Let me demonstrate that to you this way. In Isaiah chapter 14, we read the, the passage of Scripture where Lucifer is in heaven with God prior to Adam and Eve. And... At that, at that point, Lucifer makes a decision to go up against God. I'm going to read it to you. You can look at it. Isaiah 14, verses 12 through 14, it says this. How you have fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. That's Satan's, 
That was Satan's problem. He said, I will be like God. Satan, a created being, Lucifer, who is Satan, a created being, a created angel that God created, he looked at God and said, I'm as good as you. I'll be like you. He allowed pride to enter his heart and God cast him out of his heaven. And it's the same Satan that you and I battle today. And that sin of pride is the same pride that roots almost all other sin or maybe perhaps all other sin in our life. Something that we have to look at, we have to pay attention to, we have to give weight to in our lives because we have no idea how much damage is being done because of it. You remember Captain Kirk from the SS Enterprise? This is one of those famous little internet jokes going around. I'm sorry, I can't hear you over the sound of how awesome I am. Kind of Kirk's attitude. I'm wonderful. I, I think there's a superiority and arrogance that goes with all of us that says, at some point in time, I'm sorry, I can't hear you. I'm so awesome. You've never been like that? Maybe you don't do that a lot publicly. Maybe you hide behind a uh, position of it, uh, or a facade of inferiority. But I think there's a certain element of that in all of us. How about Ralph Pirro? You ever hear of him? Ralph Pirro created an invention. He actually owns the patent, patent number 4,608,967. It's the back patter. If you don't have anybody in your life to pat your back, you can get one of Ralph Pirro's inventions, put it on your shoulder, just pull the string and pat your own back. How about that, huh? You see, we want to pat our own back because most of us really believe, hey, I'm a neat guy. That's what most of us really think deep down in our heart. I'm pretty cool. And, you know, if nobody else will pat my back, I'll pat my back for me. There's the, there's the danger of pride because it really begins to corrupt our thinking. And we're going to look at that in just a minute. I think it's amazing that God created our body in such a way that it's not natural or easy for us to pat our own back. We need somebody else to do that because that's the way God intended it to be. So... We've looked at the danger of pride. Let's take a minute and look at the damage of pride. Because once we allow pride into our life, there is damage that's done. And I think perhaps more than you and I realize, there's damage that's done to ourselves. There's damage that's done to the people around us. There's damage that's done to the kingdom of heaven because we allow pride to have a place in our life. Pride to have a foothold in our life. Pride to, to do its work in our life. So we're going to begin by looking at Genesis chapter 3. And while you're turning there, I just want to say, pride blinds us to God. Pride blinds us to God. And, and you wonder about that. You say, why would that be? Well, let's take a look at what happened in Genesis chapter 3. Now, you remember in Genesis, Adam and Eve were placed into the Garden of Eden by God. This is God's paradise. This is where God made it, uh, created for the place that God created for them to dwell, for man to live without sin in a, in a place of paradise, in a place of glory. We're a place where God Himself walked in the garden. But God said, as a part of being here, I'm going to plant one tree in the garden that you can't have anything to do with. We all know the story. You can have any tree, any other tree, but except this one. So Satan, in the form of a serpent, Lucifer, he shows up and he said, did God really say you must not eat any tree in the garden? And the woman said, no, 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 that's not what he said. We can eat from any of the trees except that one. You must not touch it or you will die. And the serpent says this, you will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, 
For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Genesis 3, 5. Let's read that again. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You see, it's the same lie. It's exactly the same lie that Lucifer convinced himself of in heaven, saying, if I do what I want to do, if I violate the will of God and the Word of God and do what seems right to me, then my eyes will be opened and I will be lifted up like the Most High. He said the same thing to Eve. He said, if you will just violate God's Word, if you'll listen to what I say, if you'll do what you want to do, if you'll yield to the, the lust of the flesh and take that fruit because it looks good to you, if you'll do that, then your eyes too will be opened. But what happened? exactly the opposite of what Satan tried to convince them of. Because their, their eyes were not opened. As a matter of fact, just the opposite happened. Their eyes were closed. And because of the sin, because of the pride, because of violating God's will, they've now been separated from God. Their eyes were closed to where they couldn't even see the truth of God. As a matter of fact, one of the most tragic verses in all of the Bible is in that same chapter near, near the end, Genesis chapter 3, verse 23, says this, so the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. You see, after Adam and Eve violated God's word and they chose to eat from the only tree in all of the garden that God said you can't eat from, God said, all right, I'm holy God. This was my holy paradise for you. You have violated that. I have to send you out now. I have to banish you from the garden. And so not only does pride uh, mess us up, not only does, does pride lost my, my place here. Not only does pride blind us, but par- pride separates us from God. Pride separates us from God. We, I, I don't know if you understand the weight of that. When we allow pride into our lives, we're separated from God. Just like in Genesis chapter 3, he had to cast them out of the garden. Even I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be separated from God. I don't want to m- live my life apart from God. Psychiatrists tell us that the people who live in a world of cognitive illusion are psychotic. The word psychotic means that someone's ability to test what is actually out there is impaired or missing. They don't have the ability to actually see the truth, to see what's real. And society as a whole is horrified by people that are considered psychotic or diagnosed to be psychotic. We shun them. We, we avoid them. We try to send them away outside of our midst. We don't want anything to do with people who are labeled psychotic. But I wonder if we would consider that same definition for spiritual psychosis. Spiritual psychosis, which is far more common and universal, in fact, is the spiritual condition where someone's ability to discern God's presence God's truth, God's inescapability, someone's ability to discern all of that is completely broken down. And it's universal to all of us. You see, mental, or, uh, mental illness of psychosis says that I can't determine what's the difference between what's real and what's not. I don't have that ability. 
And there's a case to be made for a spiritual psychosis that says, because of the sin of pride, because I've allowed pride into my heart, I've allowed my eyes to be closed. I'm separated from the presence of God. And I can no longer know the difference between right and wrong. Everything is corrupt. Everything is twisted. There's a spiritual... Why is, where's the outrage over that? Where's the horror over spiritual psychosis? Where's the horror in society that's saying, you're separated from God... I don't want anything to do. We don't have that because that is socially acceptable. It's acceptable for us to be distant from God. And I, I, don't, I don't think we begin to understand just how far we are all guilty of this. And let me demonstrate that this way. When we fall into the danger of pride, we begin to realize the damage of pride. And the damage of pride kind of lines itself up that it blinds us that it separates us from God, but it also positions us against God. We just sang the song a little bit ago um, where great is thy faithfulness, O God, you wrestle with the sinner's heart. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, you wrestle with the sinner's heart. I want God to wrestle with my heart. I want God to wrestle with my heart. But there comes a time when I position myself against God in such a way that I don't have a chance to win. Like the picture that you see. The little kid cannot, he doesn't stand a chance against the sumo wrestler. And I think it's like that when we wrestle against God without yielding to Him, we're fighting a losing battle. And yet, you and I continue to fight that battle day in and day out. We refuse to give in. We refuse to stop. Our pride positions us against God. Look, I want to live my life in such a way that I link arms with God and I walk through life arm in arm with God. Hey God, what should I do next? How should I respond here? What should my attitude be here? What's my response? What's my direction? What's my path? What's the plan? Arm in arm with God, intimacy with Him, knowing His mind, knowing His will, living my life in that way. Or maybe another way for you to look at it, you just say, I'm following God and God's walking right in front of me and every step He takes, I'm going to put my foot in His footprint. And I'm going to go where God goes. I'm going to follow Him. I'm going to do what He does. I'm going to say what He says. I'm walking with God. But you see, when pride enters our heart, according to what the Bible says, God positions Himself against us. Um, let's see, Proverbs 8.23 again. Proverbs, I'm sorry, 8.12. Proverbs 8.12 again says this, once again, I, I, wisdom, dwell together with prudence. I possess knowledge and discretion. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior and perverse speech. You see, when pride is in our hearts, God stops and turns against us, folds His arms like the sumo wrestler and says, "Uh uh-uh, you're now on the opposite side of the fence from me. Now, do any of you in your right mind want to go there with God? Of course not. Of course not. not. There's not one of us in this room that would say, yeah, I'm going to do that. I'm going to, I'm going to go up against God. Because that's a losing battle. The picture illustrated it. I don't stand a chance. And yet, that's exactly what we do when we refuse to deal with the issue of pride in our hearts. That's exactly what we do. We position ourselves against God. We, we, we strengthen. We dig in. We say, no, God. And sometimes it's not so blatant as you actually having an argument with God. Sometimes it's the subtle things where you just refuse. And here's where it really gets ugly, folks. You know, 
Jeff told us back when we started this series on wisdom that he wanted us to read through Proverbs every chapter, a chapter a day. Because it's a good habit for us to get into, to, get, to let the Word of God get into our lives. And I, I'm guessing that most of you, if you heard that, that exhortation or that instruction, said, I'd like to do that. I think that's a good idea. I, I need to do that. I think you'd go so far as to say, you know, I really need to do that. And yet, there's a lot of us that didn't do it and aren't doing it. And somehow in the middle of it, we get it all twisted around. And we, while we wouldn't admit this openly, our actions prove us to be liars. We don't believe we really have to have that. We don't believe we need it because somehow we believe we can handle life without it. And if I'm wrong, then you may have been reading your Bible and, and de depending on God's Word every day, but if you're not doing that, then somewhere in your heart you're probably saying, well, you know, God, I, I think it's a good thing and I think you could probably help me, but the truth is i got other things that are more important than that today. i got things that are more important than spending time with you. And... Ah, there's just not that much benefit in spending time with you anyway. Ouch! That's kind of ugly, isn't it? And yet that's what we're dealing with. That's the kind of pride that we're looking at. That's the kind of pride that is confronting us that we just can't get around. So we've, we've looked at the danger of pride. We've looked at the damage of pride. Now let's spend a few moments looking at the defeat of pride because we need to defeat pride in our lives. How are we going to do that? How are we going to go about that? Well, two things. Number one, the most important way that you're going to defeat pride in your life is by truth. I know that sounds overly simplistic, and yet because of the fact that we've allowed pride to control us, our eyes are blinded, we're separated from God, we have a problem even seeing truth. We don't even know that we're not following God. I just let that sit in for a minute. We don't even know that we're not following God. So very quickly, four passages from Proverbs, just to demonstrate to you that there's so much truth in God's Word. Four very quick passages from the book of Proverbs that we're supposed to be reading. Proverbs 11.2 says this, When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. Proverbs 13.10 says, Pride only breeds quarrels. But wisdom is found in those who take advice. Are you fighting? You have infighting or disharmony in your life? I can promise you somewhere, if you'll search it, if you'll be honest about it, somewhere deep enough you'll find that there's a root of pride involved in that discord or that disharmony. Proverbs 16.5. 16.5 says, The Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this. They will not go unpunished. God's Word, the truth of God's Word. God is positioned against the proud of heart. And those, un, those proud deeds will not go unpunished. And then Psalm 29, 23. A man's pride brings him low, but a man of lowly spirit gains honor. A man's pride brings him low. Ronald Reagan was uh, giving a speech in Mexico City back when he was governor of California. And he gave the speech and he got just tepid response. They didn't pay much attention to him uh, or it didn't seem like they did. They didn't applaud for him. And when he stepped down, it was, he was almost embarrassed because he thought that the speech really didn't go well at all. So then a man got up to speak after him and he spoke in Spanish and Ronald couldn't understand anything that he said. But this guy was, was receiving thunderous applause. 
they were loving this guy. And so Ronald Reagan, being embarrassed for his own performance, was trying to make better of the situation and connect with the people, and he began to clap at everything the guy said. And he would clap louder, and he would clap longer than everybody else. And finally, somebody on the platform leaned over to him and said, Mr. President, you might want to be careful about that because this man is interpreting your speech. And you're clapping on your own words. You see, sometimes we don't even know that we're giving the appearance of the pride that's in our life. But for, for their appearance, they considered that Ronald Reagan was clapping at his own good words. What do you do in your life? Where is it in your life that pride has taken control that you're not even aware of? Where is it in your life that you find yourself separated from God? You find yourself blinded to God? You find yourself unable to see the truth of God's Word and be in His presence? Because you've got this wall of pride up. And I think it's there in all of us. I think it's universal. Some of us wouldn't quickly admit it. And yet, if we'll be real with God, there's something about our own lives that says, you know, God, I only need you to a certain point when it's comfortable or convenient. Proverbs 11.2 again. I'm going to read this again. It says, When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. The first tool that we need to defeat pride is, is truth. And the second one is humility. We desperately need humility in our lives. And the only way you're going to get humility in your life is to practice humility. I was a trumpet player in college. And I used to, used to kick around the phrase, practice makes perfect. And my trumpet professor one day said, no, 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 practice doesn't make perfect. Because if you practice something wrong over and over and over again, when you go to perform it, you're going to perform it wrong. Practice doesn't make perfect. Perfect practice makes perfect. You want to you get humility in your life? You're going to have to practice humility. You're going to have to practice perfect humility. Humility that says God. Humility that recognizes who God is and His position in your life, who you are and who you're not. James 4.10 says this, Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up. Now, i got to tell you folks, I am a proud man. I don't want to admit that. But as I've prepared this message the last couple of weeks, I'm just continually confronted with my own pride. I'm continually confronted with my own pride. I want to avoid pride. And yet it's there. I thought I need to find a way to come out here and just humiliate myself. I actually thought through what's the process that I could do to come out here and humiliate myself. And then I realized, well, I'd probably do such a good job of humiliating myself that I'd get proud about that and it would just be a vicious cycle. And Then I realized, no, all I have to do to humiliate myself is actually just come out and speak. There's enough humiliation right there. We need to humble ourselves before God. And the way that we do that is we acknowledge that He's on the throne and we're not. We have to acknowledge that God is on the throne. We're not on the throne. And to the degree that we don't acknowledge that, to the degree that we do not acknowledge His Lordship, His Godness in our lives, to that degree we have pride. To that degree we say, God, I don't really need You. I, just, I think You're good to have in my life. You're kind of a nice token to have around. Because if I have a real problem, I want to be able to, to talk to You about it. You know, I want to be able to pray and ask You to heal me or solve my financial problem or whatever it is. Oh boy, that's, it really gets ugly, doesn't it? 
here's the thing. God loves you. And God wants this to be resolved. And He wants to have good relationship with you. I want to communicate good with you. I don't want, I don't want to get all full of pride and puffed up. And, you know, we talked first service about how, well, you know, you can't even tell me I did a good job because I say, well, yeah, of course I did a good job because I'm a neat guy. Can't, you can't even go there. God doesn't want to beat you up. He doesn't want you to beat yourself up. And He doesn't want you to, to get into self-condemnation. But what we've got to do is get real before God and say, God, I acknowledge that who you are, I acknowledge that you're God. And in your Godness, you see all of my stuff, all of the uglies that nobody else knows about. When we get that kind of real with God, then we don't find ourselves positioned against Him. We find ourselves walking with Him. And we've got all the benefit of that. Let's pray. God, thank you so much, God, for being patient with us. And thank you so much for loving us. Thank you so much for caring. Thank you, God, for teaching us and helping us to see the things that we don't even really want to look at. God, I pray that you would help us to, uh, to have our eyes opened and to be able to see who you really are in our lives. And I pray, God, that you would help us to embrace the wisdom that comes from your word and the truth that comes from your word to know that you are sovereign God, that you've got it all together, and that your ways really are better than our ways. We love you, God, and we want to honor you with our lives. Help us, God, because we really do need your help. This is difficult for us, God. Help us. In Jesus' name we pray.